Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. What is going on, everybody? Jack McCauley, intern, dogman.com. We'll be talking some hoops today, previewing the 2021-2022 Washington men's basketball team as their season starts to get underway here. Joined, as always, by lifelong intern Luke Munger, as well as former UW men's basketball player out of Iskola, Washington, Jason Crandall. How are we doing today, boys? You know, I'm doing great. Honored to be joined by a guy with a career 29% offensive rebound percentage at the D1 level. Uh, Jason, how are I'm doing you? Doing well. You know, you flatter me, Luke. Uh, I'm, I'm just glad to be on with you guys. First opportunity to podcast and talk about UW men's basketball. Obviously, a love of mine. Uh, a little backstory here. I mean, it might be, you know, people know Jason, you know, on the team. You know, I guess it could be seen as a random connection, you know, bringing in uh, Jason here. But a little backstory, we all have lived in lived together that sort of stuff so that's where this connection come from you know all these hoops you know this is something we do on a regular basis so we're just bringing it out on a platform um so it'll be fun yeah awesome so like jack said we're joined here by former husky hooper jason crandall ready to talk about 2021 2022 husky basketball season uh it's a team that looks different than the 2020 2021 roster I could be wrong here, but nine and now I think make it 10 with the recent news, Jason, that you were going to share uh, new scholarship guys. Um, so excited to take a look at this new roster, but Jason, I'll let you give a little shout out. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to shout out um, a great walk on Reagan Lundeen. Uh, he's a senior. He's worked hard for four years and Coach Hop just uh, rewarded him with the scholarship yesterday in a team meeting and just super proud of him and uh, for all the walk-ons out there, that's just a great moment to see, you know, a brother of yours get rewarded for his hard work and uh, just, you know, puts a smile on my face. So just shout out to that guy. Absolutely. Great. So, yeah, right now we're, again, getting into some Husky hoops here. John Rothstein shared a tweet yesterday that gave his kind of projection of what the Husky starting lineup will be. Uh, nevertheless, it's a roster and rotation that will be filled with a number of newcomers. Uh, so I don't know how we want to get into this first. I guess I'll share that John Rothstein mentioned that highly placed spies said that they're looking at a, a lineup of Dejon Davis, obviously Garfield High School product, and then went to Stanford. Terrell Brown, another Seattle kid, has played for Seattle U in Arizona. Jamal Bay, fourth-year player for the Dogs. Emmett Matthews from Tacoma, Washington, West Virginia standout, especially on the defensive end. And then finally, Nate Roberts, uh, who's been in the rotation for UW and was a regular starter last year. Um, so, yeah, obviously two returning starters and then three completely new guys. Uh, Jason, I guess I'll kick it over to you. 
Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to play with Dejan or Terrell growing up, but what's kind of your take on a new backcourt for the dogs featuring? Some yeah. I, you know, I love to see both these additions to the team. I've, I've had the chance to play against them both uh, my entire career as Terrell's class of 2016, same as me and um, Dejan's class of 2017, but he played up on Seattle Rotary. So I had battles against both of them since sixth, seventh grade. And I, I love, I love the addition of both of them because of who they are as talents, but also I love seeing experienced guards come in here. And these guys, they're from Seattle. They want to win for the city and they both kind of have a chip on their shoulder. You know, Terrell, he's a guy, he's, he's earned everything he's gotten. He's the definition of a a junkyard dog. You know, he turned himself in from a role player at Garfield to uh, he went to junior college, walked on at Seattle U, earned a scholarship, was the best player there, got himself to the Pac-12. You know, that's the type of guy you want to have in your program. I think he wants to bring Utah back to what uh, we've seen that this program can be. And then Dejan's just an electric player. He's real steady. Um you know, I think Stanford would have liked to keep him if they could have, but he wanted to come home. And I'm just looking forward to see that combination. They're both great defenders, and I think they are both great front lead guards that can take turns kind of just running the show. Absolutely. A question I wanted to follow up here. So like you said, it's great to have some experienced guards. How does having different, I guess, like I guess kids from different programs, does that – impact at all the experience they bring to the table obviously there's some getting used to each other I'm sure that has to happen but is it still valuable to have that yeah I think I think it's it's super valuable to with a team that you know didn't have a year that they hoped for last year it's nice to bring in some guys who have experienced winning you know Terrell Brown he's been a winner his whole life uh he's he played at Arizona that's a historic program he battled hard with them Dejan, you know, Stanford has been a very competitive team during his four years there. And then you bring in Emmett Matthews, too. He he knows what it's like to play in an NCAA tournament. And on top of bringing in guys from different programs, I think it's just important to note how much experience and just a, a desire to win matters in college basketball. I think this team and where they're starting from reminds me a little bit about a it reminds me of when Coach Hop was first here in his first and second year. You know, you had David Crisp, you had Matisse Thibault, Dom Green, Noah. They knew what it was like to play. They had the experience, but you could see their their focus shift to we need to win. We need to get to the NCAA tournament. That is our 100% goal. And I think that's kind of the feeling amongst the team this year of, hey, We've all had our own personal successes, but now it's time for us to come together and lock in and let's get this done as a program and as a group of guys that we want to go back to the NCAA tournament. We want to have success. Yeah, I kind of going back to Jason's point, you look at guys like Emmett Matthews, Terrell Brown, Dejon Davis, like bringing in that experience and adding a new you know layer of culture into this locker room where you know it's been reported that there have been some issues the last couple of years. So, you know, kind of hitting that reset button, getting a new culture stemming up out of this program, I think is something that is needed, you know, and I think bringing in three guys who have experience. And also I think all three of them have a massive chip on their shoulder 
um, is something that this program needs to not only elevate themselves this year, but for the future as well. You know, you get an energetic group of guys and, you know, I think they have a relatively high ceiling, you know, with their experience. um, And then also just, you know, not only outside of them, but the team is relatively athletic. They can perform, you know, great leadership. It seems like they have great chemistry already. That's something you need. And I think in college basketball, especially the most important thing you can have is two experienced guards. So Dejon Davis and Terrell Brown and a defense like Mike Hopkins, where they can get out, you know, be explosive, get their hands involved is very important. And both those guys have shown, especially in their last couple of years that they're very good at that. So I think those two additions in Emmett Matthews are really what coach Hopkins needed for this season. Certainly. Now you mentioned Emmett Matthews, another kid coming home. Another question I was kind of curious about is you look at Dejon Davis, Terrell Brown, not necessarily the largest guy in the world, uh, but a pretty good defensive player. You're now looking at, if you look at the five people that John Rothstein put out there, I believe, let me check on this real quick, but five guys, positive defensive plus minuses per college, per sports reference. How do you see a, a longer, I guess, Terrell Brown being 6'3", Dejon Davis being about 6'5", Emmett Matthews 6'7". How does this, I guess, what does this bring to the table in the Husky zone? And then you have a number of guys. I mean, obviously, Jamal Bay has played on top of the zone as well on the back line. Will be Brown and Davis up there? Do you keep Bay up there? What does that look like? Yeah, I think they're going to be mixing and matching. I don't think they're going to be afraid to do that. Um, I think they're all, you know... You know, look at a couple of years ago when you had like a guy like Jaden McDaniels at the top side. You know, they kind of moved him around. I think they're going to use Jamal in that similar way. You know, all three of those guys are very great on the on the defensive end. You know, if they decide to go bigger too, take one of the guards out and put in say like Langston Wilson or Jackson Grant, even their bigs outside of probably Riley Soren and you know Nate Roberts, who's under who's probably going to be standing under the rim, are pretty mobile. So I, I don't think they're going to be afraid to shift, mix, and match. You might even see Emmett Matthews and Jamal Bay up there at the top at once if you have a bigger lineup with Langston, Jackson, Jackson Grant, depending on their progression. So I think as for a hold, they're, you know, I don't think we're going to see one set combination. I think it's going to be more game plan, um, just different teams, and they're not going to be afraid to, you know, especially use guys like Terrell Brown and Dejon Davis and real and just get after their guards, you know, as soon as they cross half court, you know, that ex- kind of extended two, three zone, let them sink back in. Yeah, Jack, I think that's a great point about mixing and matching. I think just anyone who watched last year, just we saw we had a relatively small roster last year and coming from personal experience, being a, a six foot guard trying to attempt to play this zone sometimes in practice. It's just, it's just difficult to do because you're asked to close off passing lanes that there's, it's almost impossible if you don't have a certain level of length. And last year we, we found ourselves playing six foot and six, three up top with a six, three or six, four guy down at the forward position. And so you're going to see how that length is going to transform what we can do defensively in terms of keeping the ball out of the middle, keeping direct passes from the top down to the short corner, um, what, you know, defending against skips and also rebounding. But I think it's a great point about the mix and match because I could definitely see Emmett getting his share of time up top if that's something they want to experiment with. Jamal has, of course, played both positions throughout his career. And he's super active 
you know, you're never going to replicate a Matisse Thibault probably in the history of college basketball. He might be one of the best to ever do it, especially with Coach Hop zone. But Jamal is a very high level defender at the at the guard position for this zone. And so I'd love to see him up there. I wouldn't be shocked if he started up there and you saw Dejan or Terrell um, down at the forward position sometimes because they're both great rebounders. We saw Jalen play it, and we were great with the the zone with Jalen down there because of his incredible ability to rebound against big men. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised, and I do look forward to having Langston Wilson in there with Nate or Jackson Grant, and then we could have a 6'6 guy up front, 6'7 down there with 6'9 and 6'11. That's that's really exciting. Yeah, I think going back to kind of that point where you're talking about, you know, skip passes, guys getting in the middle. I felt like so often last year, because we were so small, you know, oftentimes, you know, you got a guy like Quade Green, super efficient on the offensive end, but defense, he's for a zone, 2-3 zone, you, you know, you, you talked about it being a six-foot guy. You know, we saw Quade struggling, you know, when you get the you get that high post in the middle and then he dishes it out to the, you know, the wing, you know, so many three balls went up. And then because of that, you know, the guy, the the, the four down there has to shift out and help out, which is a re, which is a big reason why we weren't able to rebound, rebound so well last year. You know, the extra big man's able to crease in short corner, be right there for a defense offensive board. You know, that's a big reason why. And I think those issues this year are going to be a little more covered when you add some extra length, a little more quickness. And then also just the roster getting a little bit more big and athletic in general. I think that's going to help a lot having guys like, you know, kind of like Luke said, Emmett Matthews, proven defensive guy, been great on the boards for West Virginia. That's kind of what he was known for. Jamal Bay, you know, I think everybody's seen it over time. While we were waiting for the offensive game to develop, the defensive game has always been there. So I don't think we're missing anything on defense as of right now. I think it's just going to be one of those things. A couple games are going to put the pieces together in the puzzle. I think the defense is going to, I think they're going to be a much improved from last season. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about some of the guys in the backcourt. We've also tossed some names around in the front court. Uh, we've mentioned the likes of Langston Wilson, obviously Nate Roberts returning starter, uh, Jackson Grant as well as a name that's mentioned. So those three in particular between Nate Roberts, a returning big man, gave you about six and six last year, uh, but had some big games, a double-double against Utah and Montana, uh, 10 points and eight boards against USC. You also have Jackson Grant, incoming All-American prospect from Olympia, Washington, Jack's hometown. Uh, and then you have Langston Wilson, an athletic freak, Juco transfer. Three guys, none necessarily like the other. What does this kind of backcourt, I mean, front court look like for the Huskies uh, after a year of some attrition and turnover? Yeah, um, I think, you know, kind of going back to Jackson Grant, you know, I did have the, pri- I did have the privilege of attending the same high school as him, so I've been – able to see kind of his growth and progression. And, you know, I think he's a guy, I think you need to add a little bit more mass on him. He's real, he's got a big, he's got a real long frame, but he doesn't have too much meat on it right now. So I'll be interested to see him, how he looks, you know, compared to high school. I think he hopefully hit the weight room hard this year, but you know, he's a great stretch for, he's so good at, you know, getting that space outside on the three point line and not being afraid to pop it, take a dribble and pull. He's also it's shown great uh, footwork back when you know back to the basket um, in high school. Granted, you know you're seeing smaller bigs and stuff like that, but I think it showed when he was on the uh, Under Armour circuit. You know he was averaging double doubles. You know 18 and 12, 18 and 10, um, a lot of those. And I think he's a great rebounder because of his um, 
his length. He's got great quickness. He's got a real hard motor. And I think another thing that a lot of people that's important to have is that chip on the shoulder. You know, you look at guys like Terrell Brown, Dejon Davis, who older, they're, they're feeding that right to him. He's had that in high school. You know, he's a big energy guy. I remember watching the game against Battleground last year where uh, they have – I forget the Battleground center name, but he's currently at Gonzaga. And Jackson was able to work him a number of different times. He was able to get by him with a first step, um, get boards, offensive rebounds, and he was real strong there. Then you look at like Langston Wilson, former Alabama commit, and Coach Hop was able to sway him. I think that's one of the biggest additions of the season, not only for um, you know pulling a guy who's – from a major program and Nate Oates uh, is running down there. But in terms of like electricity, you know, you know, you need an energy guy off the bench. He's presumably coming off the bench. You need a guy like Nas Carter who can light up the crowd, get the team going. You know, you're down, maybe so other team goes on six, seven, eight, Oh run. Then you get Langston Wilson with a big power jam, something like that. Maybe a big emphatic block. I think he's going to be real good on the defensive end. And then offensively, I think he's an underrated shooter. You know, a lot of times in his highlight mix, he's, you've seen a step back jumper. I think that's something we'll see a decent amount from him, but I think he'll be more of the energy guy. And then, yeah, Nate Roberts, uh, real, you know, I think we've, we all know what he can do. Good rebounder, good hustler, but I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be kind of playing that, not quite that Sam Timmons role in the sense where he's going to be like, all right, you'll see him in the starting lineup and get limited minutes. I think we'll get more minutes, but you know, he might not be the primary big. And I think, I think they'll rotate him out. Um, well, and I, you know, kind of going back to earlier, I think we're going to do a lot of mixing and matching with lineups. Yeah, those are those are both great points, and uh, Jack kind of gave a great summary of Langston and of um, Jackson. But you know, I, I've heard great reports about Nate Roberts, and uh, I've I've heard from multiple people within the program just talking about how much he's progressed this off season, which is which is incredible. Because the thing about Nate is, since the time he was a redshirt freshman. He was always one of the hardest working guys at practice. You know, this guy, he loves to rebound. And that's what you love to have bigs who they love to rebound because, we, you know, we might not have a post uh, on this roster that you're going to throw the ball into like Noah Dickerson and Isaiah Stewart and say, go get a bucket. But great college basketball teams don't need bigs who are going to go get you 20 off post-ups. You know, great college basketball teams, if you look at national champions and the great teams of our conference recently, they have grinder bigs who are battling on the boards. And that's what Nate Roberts is. I, you know, I think he'll pick up a lot of points off of rolling hard on pick and rolls, offensive rebounds, you know, lobs to him when he's finding the dunker spot. I think Nate has a chance to really step up because the opportunity is there for him. We... We obviously have some some talent at the big man position, but it's it's his job his job to secure that for us. He's a captain of the team. I think this is a great opportunity for him to really step up. And you know, from what I've been hearing, I, I think he has that chance to be a guy who's eight to ten, eight to twelve points if he reaches his ceiling with eight plus rebounds, because his energy is so contagious. How hard he plays, he's going to find himself staying on the court as long as he stays out of foul trouble, and he can, you know, he continues to grow and he's finishing well. Talking just personally a little bit about Langston and Jackson, I'm excited about both the additions. I think, like you said, Jack, they're both different and they provide uh, advantages in their own ways. 
I think they're both really going to contribute. Langston, I'm very excited to see how he works in the zone. Just uber athletic, uh, long arms. I think he's going to be just exactly what we need at the forward position in terms of being mobile to uh, take on guards when they come over to the wing, but also be able to get back to the boards when we need him. And I think, like you said, he is going to be that Nas Carter type uh, energy player where heck Ed, I'd love to see it rocking again. And I can picture that with Langston Wilson catching an oop on the break and trying to tear that rim down with the dog pack going crazy. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to that with Jackson. I, you know, I think I, I see a great career for him at UW and, and I love that he stuck with UW through these kind of turbulent seasons and that he stayed home to be a dog. I think that uh, he, he's going to have the chance to show why he was called a McDonald's All-American. I would say I definitely caution fans of, you know, getting on a player like Jackson if maybe he takes some time to really find himself because this is an older team with a lot of guys who are used to uh, playing well. And so I just encourage fans, you know, stay positive with this guy because – He's he's here to help our program, and in the long run, I think he's going to have a major impact. You know, the dogs that we've loved the most are guys who have been here three, four years. You know, you think of John Brockman's and Quincy Pondexter and um, Matisse Thibel, Noah Dickerson. Those are guys who have invested in our program, and and they have shown how they can change things around here, and that's what I think Jackson Grant can be during his time here at UW. You know, I think one other player we forgot to mention too is, um, why am I blank, uh, blanking on Linden kid? I just lost it. Cole Bajima. Cole Bajima. Yes, we didn't. I don't think, you know, he's kind of a hybrid too. I think, in a, you know, I know we were talking about bigs real quick, but, you know, just kind of circling back. Um, I think he's another guy who could play, you know, that inside out edition. You know, he's big six, seven. You know, I, I think people look at him and don't think he's the biggest guy in the world, but you know, he is six, seven, if I, if I'm right. And um, I think they could use him in a variety of different ways, but kind of going back to Jason with Nate Roberts, um, foul trouble. I, I think if he stays out of foul trouble, I think he's just a real impactful piece for this program. You know, like he said, his energy is contagious. And I think sometimes he it has been too high in the sense that that's a reason why he has, you know, going too hard after rebounds. I think if he gets, learns how to play a little bit smarter, as well as leans up a little bit, which I've I've heard he's done. He was a little too big last year, in my opinion. Uh, I think he leaned up from what I've heard a little bit, got a little quicker. I think that's great to hear. And I think a lot of the noise that has came from UW these past two, three months have been really nothing but positive. You know, like he said, it was a real turbulent season. You know, last couple seasons have been real on and off. But everything that has came out of this program, from what I have heard these last couple months, is just everything is flipped. The you know. This team has done and program has done a complete 180. Their the culture and vibe there is just different. Hopkins is um, doing a great job managing this team, and I think that he's going to put them in a great position to win. Which leads me to the schedule. I mean, I think I think we also have a favorable schedule to make some noise. Yeah, that's a great transition there. So we were talking a little bit about this before we actually started recording, but I'll, I'll start with Jason. You mentioned that especially non-conference, you like how some things line up for the Huskies. 
you look at a schedule that has Northern Arizona, Northern Illinois, Texas Southern, Winthrop on paper, not marquee matchups that you expect to have on ESPN at like 7.30 on a weeknight. However, what is it about this schedule that you like for the Huskies? Yeah, what what I was mentioning that I, I like about this schedule is I think that UW will get the chance to really challenge themselves with some some opponents that on paper, like you said, Luke, don't appear to be big names, but these are consistently great teams that, you know, you look at in their conference, South Dakota State, they're always competitors. You see Winthrop, they were in the NCAA tournament last year. You also see a team like Nevada who uh, they, they have – they have a chance to really be a player in that Mountain West. And I think they'll find themselves in the NCAA tournament. You know, they have a great roster. They got Grant Sherfield, who he can really fill it up. They've got a couple of great transfers um, in Will Baker from Texas and AJ Brahma from Robert Morris. I think that game will really be a measuring stick for UW. I think it's seven games in on our schedule. I'd really love to see us if we play to our best of our ability. I think we can get to six and zero before we get to that Nevada game. You know, Wyoming—they're always a competitive foe, and Texas Southern has has scared some teams in recent years. And even, you know, they're always playing big D ones. But I think if we play to our best, we should knock off Wyoming. We should knock off George Mason in South Dakota State. And I think where you can kind of start telling what kind of team uh, this this group of guys is going to be this year is when you see that run of games of play Nevada on a neutral site, play Winthrop at home. Then we get Arizona on the road, uh, UCLA at home. And then a week later, Gonzaga on the road. That's that stretch is probably going to show who, what this team is made of. But I like that we, we enter the season with a couple games where let's get the chemistry, right? Let's figure out, where our roles are and get get things going in front of a home crowd. Let's let's get ourselves feeling good. And then as we go to this tournament and play against George Mason, South Dakota State, and Nevada, we need to be clicking on full gear because those are games that you need to win to boost your resume. Those are teams that are going to help our metrics because they're going to be competitive and they're going to win a lot of games. But we can't afford to lose those games if we want to have our eyes set on uh, getting into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Jason, I think that is, I think you hit it right there at that stretch. I think that Nevada game, you know, you hit their roster perfectly. Winthrop, another another team, you know, you look at the name and you're like, who? But Winthrop, been in the tournament the last couple of years. They made some noise, usually sitting around the 12, 13 seed. Um, they usually do real well and are a trendy upset pick. I think that's a great game to schedule at home. Um, they're, I think they'll be very favorable for the R, for our RPI. Um, and, you know, kind of like you said, you get those two conference games right before you get in-state rival Gonzaga. Um, I think getting those early is a great test for Washington, especially having those, you know, games of Northern Illinois, you know, kind of those games where, you know, all right, we're getting our feet wet. We're getting, you know, let's we'll see how this chem- chemistry is. And then you really put it to the test when you hit Nevada. And I think there, if you know, if Washington is able to hold up and do well against teams like Nevada, Winthrop, UCLA, Arizona, the you know those games, I think, I think they're they could and if they, you know they're hanging tight with all of them or coming out with wins, I think you could be seeing, and you know, a bubble team for the NCAA tournament this year. 
Um, all right. There was a question I wanted to follow up with Jason on. You mentioned, both of you mentioned the stretch that begins with likely Nevada and then goes through Gonzaga on the road on Sunday, December 12th. So obviously just a fan looking at the schedule is going to be really drawn to that at Arizona home versus UCLA at Gonzaga stretch over the course of about a week and a half. Obviously, like you said, a big measuring stick for where the Huskies stand after a few games to get some chemistry under their belt. Is there a situation on paper just up front? I think most people that handicap games like this would pick the dogs to be underdogs in these. Is there like do the Huskies have to walk away one and two in that to feel good about themselves? Two and one. Is there a way that they can remain competitive? Maybe walk away with three losses and still have some confidence going into the later part of non-conference and into conference play later that month. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and and I think that's it's tough to to say what those games mean before the season because you know let's say yeah. we can knock off Nevada, um, that would be a great resume booster for us. I wouldn't say any of those games against UCLA, Arizona, and Gonzaga are must-wins. I mean, trying to tell yourself that you need to go into the kennel and beat the number one team in the country, I, I just I don't see where that's a, a healthy mindset. But I do know that this team's going to go in there with the thought that they're going to win. I, I think Jack had mentioned it. This team likes each other a lot. And I think that people are going to see that. I've heard they've gelled from the first day that they've been together. And I think that they they really think they can go for it this year. You know, there's always optimism, optimism before the season for every team. You're always thinking best case scenario. But I think these guys, they saw themselves be, be ranked 11 out of 12 in the Pac-12 there's no chance that they think that's even in the realm of possibility. They, I would, I would guess this team's saying, Hey, we're coming for UCLA. We're coming for Oregon. And that's a good mindset to have, but I don't think you should be telling yourself, Hey, we, this is a must win game against UCLA at home. I think, but I I would say to answer your question that um, if, if we do some, if we do knock off Nevada and we come out of that stretch one and two and, and we play the other two teams tight, that's going to get fans fired up, I think. You know, you, you of course, would love to go 3-0 and or 2-1 and would be great. But if you can come away and see the strides that we're making, that's still early season. And there are some better wins to be had in the Pac-12 than in years past. We get to play Oregon twice, UCLA again. And so I think if you can come out of that three-game stretch with at least one win, that's a, that is a success because – we're going to lose some games, but stacking some wins that the committee could look at and say, that's why you deserve to be in the NCAA tournament is the goal. So I definitely say at least one should be the focus for the team and, and for fans. Yeah, I think that's, I think that right there is the, you know, the perfect mindset you need. You know, I think if you knock off one of the teams and play the other two close, you know, I would say under 10, that right there is a win for Washington. You know, especially being earlier on in a completely new roster, you know, the committee's going to see that. They're going to know that. And then you go into conference play and, you know, you immediately hit it with Wazoo on the road at Utah, at Colorado. I think that right there is also a very important stretch for Washington. You know, you get three road games right out into conference play, all on the road. 
And so right there, that is important for them to get on a good pace. They're all teams they should very well beat, um, especially with Utah and Colorado losing a lot last year. Um, I think they are in Wazoo. You know, they they're. I think Wazoo's a good team. I think they're also going to be a fringe bubble team this year. I think they're a trendy, a trendy pick for a lot of experts. But right there, you know, you if you're able to make some strides at the beginning of conference by get three wins right there, this team, you know, with the energy they have, with the chemistry that they have, they I think they will be rolling. And you know, then you come home and play California and Stanford. Those are two games they can win too. So I think the beginning of conference play especially after if they are able to play, you know, at Gonzaga at, and home against UCLA close and at Arizona, either win or close. If those ga- if, if that is how it is and, you know, we start off the conference play hot, I think the sky is honestly the limit for this team. Just, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win a national championship by any means, but I'm saying they could overperform what everybody sees they're going to do. Um, so I think getting those conference games off to a good start is something that they have to do, especially that, since it hasn't been done in recent years, the last two years, there's been slip-ups at the beginning of conference, and it's really dragged the team down. Awesome. Great. So we've talked a little bit about some non-conference scheduling. We've talked about the roster. Shall we get into kind of some expectations or, or people we're keeping an eye on that will be, I don't know, about, uh, I guess, just catalysts for success for the dogs. I don't know if either of you have someone or a few things that come to mind that you'd like to share, but... I think that's a natural next topic to discuss. Yeah, certainly. Um, expectations for this year for me, I think, um, you know, it's hard to go in too high. It's hard to find a spot with this team because, you know, they do have so many newcomers, you know, they have a four or five transfers and then, or four or five transfers and a Junco guy. So it's like, all right. And then Jackson Grant, you know, a guy out of high school. And they're really only, the only three guys they had from last season were Bajima, Roberts, and, um, and Jamal Bay. So, you know, you have three of those core pieces you're adding in so much, it's kind of hard to be like, all right, where are we going to be? So I think the floor for this team, I think 11th, I think that's, I think that's too low of a floor. I don't, I don't see them being 11th. I think the worst they could do is probably around the eight spot in the PAC 12, just based on experience alone. I think that experience is going to help out with them a lot. But as far as the ceiling, I think the ceiling is very gray. It is, it is certainly great. I don't see him going first, maybe, or not second in the conference. I think UCLA, Oregon is a is just a tier above every other Pac-12 team. But I think third is very realistic. After that, it's like, all right, you got Oregon State. Then you got Colorado, Utah, Wazoo, Arizona. You don't know what they're going to have. So I think right there, that third spot, I think that's where they're, I think they're going to be between that three and eight range, honestly, because, you know, you look at experience. You need that to win in college basketball. You need some good chemistry. I think they have that working for them. And then you need a lot of grit. They have all those three things. And I think that's a good recipe for this team to crush their preseason projection. Yeah. If you don't mind me interjecting here, I think this is an interesting thing. So you mentioned grit. Uh, This is a team that has experience. Like you mentioned, you look at some transfers, Emmett Matthews, Dejon Davis, Terrell Brown, all seniors. You also have Jamal Bay, a senior. If things get off to a rough start, could you see that kind of derailing, I guess, the identity of this team? I mean, this is a team, I guess what I'm kind of thinking is like, does the do or die almost feeling around a team with a bunch of seniors, a lot of them have transferred in. Like, does this feel like a team that is kind of like tournament contender or bust and could it get bad then if they aren't set up for that early on? I, I think, you know, they might lose, they could lose some games, you know, just because we don't know what we've seen. We don't know how they're going to look. 
But I think if they do start losing games, I don't think this is a team that quits. You know, last year it felt like oftentimes they'd get down and then they, they would be out. They'd hang their heads, that sort of thing. I don't think it happens with this year. You know, Dejon Davis, Terrell Brown, Emmett Matthews, Jamal Bay are all playing their last season of college basketball. There's no way that they're just going to go in there and say, all right, you know, we're, we're done. We're done. We're going to we're gonna hang our heads. You know, season's gone. It's not going to be like that at all. I think, I think, this, te- I think this team is going to constantly carry a chip on their shoulder, win or lose. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that I don't see that derailed season um, in, in the cards for this team. I think the Pac-12 is always competitive, and the schedule makers definitely didn't do us any favors with our first two games being at Arizona and then UCLA at home. And then as we get into the bulk of conference play, we start out with five of seven on the road. And so that's just – that's a lot to ask for. Um, and but I think if you weather that storm of playing, you know, playing the Mount WSU on the road and then the Mountain Schools on the road to start, and then you, uh, two weeks later having to go and play at the Oregon Schools, that's some of the toughest games in the entire conference right there. If you can get through that and weather the storm, get some wins out of there, I think you can kind of see this team grow together. And later on in the season, if they really gel, could get the ball rolling. You know, and and the guys that we do have returning, the guys we brought in, they've shown that they're not going to quit. You saw a guy like Jamal Bay, even with some of the team's lack of success last year, continue to grow throughout the season. He was a great player in Pac-12. His last five games of the season last year, averaging 14 points. Uh, I think him and Nate Roberts, they've seen what it's like to be at the top winning the Pac-12 as freshmen, and they've seen what it's like to be at the bottom. And it's no fun being at the bottom. And I think that there's no chance that they're going to let themselves fall down there if they take a couple losses. I think also just a fresh, uh, a fresh breath of uh, you know new players and coaches has given this team energy, and they're going to keep fighting because – I think they know if they can get through non-conference and stack some wins there that you can go 11 and 7, you could go 10 and 8 in the Pac-12 and still find yourself right in the hunt to be playing in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned obviously the tough start to conference play scheduling wise. Conversely, you have the Huskies ending their conference play with a game against Washington State and then the Oregon schools in town the next weekend, all in heck ed. That's the stuff you dream about right there, right? You have the opportunity, like you said, maybe to finish 11 and 7, 10 and 8. You have to win a two or three of those games at home. That's the stuff that's going to rally the city behind these dogs. Uh, I can, I'm already just dreaming about that early March game against Oregon. Um, if the Huskies are in contention for the tournament or a bubble team or uh, regardless of where they are. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously an exciting team just to, I mean, I guess expectations wise, I feel like it could be a team that sniffs around 20 wins around 500 plus in conference play. And like you said, I think it depends. It goes back to those resume builders, perhaps a win over Nevada. If they're able to steal one in that three game stretch, we mentioned with Oregon as well as UCLA and Gonzaga or not Oregon, uh, I said, I meant UCLA, Arizona, and Gonzaga. Nevertheless, 
Um, yeah, I think we're all on the same page expectations wise. Wrapping things up here, are there any? Is there a guy that you're looking for that's like this person will be pivotal to the success of the dogs in 2022? Yeah, I think for me, it's I think for me it's going to be Nate Roberts. Um, I think the backcourt is. Um, I think we got a good backcourt this year. You know, a lot of experience. We've seen what they're able to do, and I think Nate Roberts is the guy in that front court. I think they got to get good minutes out of him, keep him out of foul trouble, and if and if he's able to stay out of foul trouble, you know, kind of be that guy that's able to get maybe two, three offensive boards a game, then obviously box out, get some boards defensively, you know, get those, get eight points or so a game. I think this team could be real dangerous just because that front court, you know, it is a little bit gray, you know, Jackson, he's Jackson Grant's a true freshman. So you can't expect him to have any sort of pivotal role in this team quite yet. And then Langston Wilson making the jump out of junior college, um, a lot different playing down there in juco than it is to pac 12 play and then you got riley soren is just you know I th- he's a he's a great guy to sub in but I, I don't think he's anything that you can expect or rely on so i think nate roberts right there is that focal point of the front court and he's got to be able to for- perform well um stay out of foul trouble and match up some against some of these bigger uh pac 12 bigs yeah no that's i think nate can be big time for us this year i think two guys come to mind of one uh guy that can really guide the ship to success and one guy who's a real X factor for me. And first, I think just a guy we're going to need to be great for us to reach our goals of making the NCAA tournament and beyond is Jamal Bay. And he's a senior, he's been here, but I think everyone that's been a part of the program has seen this guy's talent since the day he stepped on campus. Um, He's been a guy who Coach Hop turned to when he was a freshman against Utah State getting clutch buckets, playing great defense in the NCAA tournament. And last year you saw he has the ability to be a guy who can lead the team. He shot great from three, was efficient overall. And I think it's just him. I've t- I've talked to him personally. I know he he's excited about taking on that responsibility. And I think he really can take that next step. And I, I think he can be a guy that fans are going gonna to love and just we can lean on him. And and I'm really looking forward to, to watching him play as a former teammate of his to see him reach that potential that I know he has. I, I can see him as a 15-plus point-per-game scorer, making the All-Pac-12 team. That's what I think he can do. I also think we didn't talk about him too much, you know, Jack Fielden at the end when we were going over the players, but Cole Bajima, I mean, watch out. There's been some great reports about his the way he can shoot the ball from this preseason. And he looked great in the Seattle Pro-Am. He's crazy talented. I mean, he was committed to Michigan out of high school. He's long. If he can get that shot going, that's that's what our team has been missing uh, throughout Coach Hop's years is a team full of consistent shooting. You know, when when we were great, winning the Pac-12, you saw David Crisp lighten it up from three. You saw Matisse catching fire. Jalen was always consistent. Dom was knocking it in. But that's where I can see this team. You know, you can get Jamal Bay firing it from three, but Cole Bajma could really be a guy we rely on to come off the bench and be a consistent threat from the three-point line. So that's I'm looking forward to him. And I think if if things gel the right way, the ceiling is high for this team. And I could see us really competing to – uh, make it far in the Pac-12 tournament, along with see our name being called on Selection Sunday. Of course, you got to work there, and 
you got to be cautiously optimistic. But, you know, I believe in Coach Hop. He's had some some uh, tough seasons, but, you know, he turned this team from the bottom of the barrel to winning the Pac-12 in two years. And I think he's very determined himself to do that again. Awesome. And just wrapping up here, you guys mentioned a few newcomers, or a few veterans, or veteran dogs at least. One newcomer's name that I wanted to mention that uh, Jason had high praise earlier for is Terrell Brown. I think he's a guy that's not necessarily going to fill up the stat sheet, uh, averaged like seven and a half points per game at Arizona. But he's a guy who had like a 3.5 to less than one turnover ratio. Uh, he shot 37% from beyond the arc at Arizona. He's kind of an attitude guy. Jason calls him like the epitome of a junkyard dog. He's a grinder. I think that he's a guy, especially early in the season when the team is finding their identity, that can be a steadying force and kind of set the tone for a successful season for the dogs. Um, so that's just another name I wanted to throw in there. We got about 45 minutes of content for you guys here, so we'll hop off. Uh, really looking forward to Husky Hoops exhibition game in a couple of days. And then a week from the day that we're recording, they open with Northern Illinois at home. Super excited to see what the Huskies are able to bring to the table this year. Uh, so Jason and Jack, thank you for taking the time and go dogs. Yes, yeah, sir, go, go dogs. dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.